Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. This is episode number 46, and tonight we're going to continue talking about the bad guys. Bad guys. Bad guys. In, especially in the Peter Jackson trilogy, uh, with occasional glances towards the Hobbit trilogy, and uh, also perhaps some comparison with the Rings of Power as well. Uh, last time we talked about Sauron and the Ringwraiths, principally. Uh, we were looking at the very delicate uh, sort of interpretive and adaptation dance that they were uh, maneuvering through when they with the whole flaming eyeball business uh, with Sauron last time. Um, and we talked about the Ringwraiths and the, the, the way, again, that they were kind of um, uh, thinking interestingly about taking, taking very similar figures, uh, which was very close to the text in many ways, uh, but yet actually shifting, you know, making choices to shift the way we respond to them, the kind of effect that they had um, and how that worked very well at the beginning, in my opinion, less well at the end. Uh, uh, but anyway, today we wanted to continue that because there are a couple major figures that we did not get to discuss. Saruman, of course, who's a, the sort of the uh, subordinate. Uh, he's the, well, if Sauron is the big bad, does that make Saruman the medium bad? Mediocre bad. Mediocre bad. Middle bad. The middle bad? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, so we should talk about him. Uh, obviously, he's the one who is the dominant figure there in the second film, uh, as far as bad guys are concerned. Um, and then we need to talk about the orcs, who, of course, uh, are more... The army of bad. Yeah, the army of bad. Um, yeah. Anyway, so let's start um, by talking about Saruman. Because uh, the orcs are kind of a bigger, you know, bigger, kind of messier <laughs> subject. Um, with Saruman in particular, the uh, one of the things that I... So, first of all, when we first get introduced to Saruman as bad guy in the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, he gets linked to... That he is a subordinate bad guy to Sauron is mm -hmm. emphasized from the beginning. And there's a, there's an interesting sort of effect to me. I'm thinking of the Palantir, right? And the way that the Palantir is used, is introduced in that first conversation with Gandalf, right? Yeah. Where Saruman, for some reason, takes mm -hmm. Gandalf in and is like, I want to show you my shiny ball that I communicate with Sauron, you know, right. uh, uh, through. And um, uh, in other words, we... With the Palantir, we several times see the fiery eyeball in the Palantir, right? And so Saruman, over the course of the first film, and even through the second film, you know, build me an army worthy of Mordor, right? Um, becomes, we talked about the, their choice to not have Sauron have a corporeal presence on stage, right? Yep. So it's almost like Saruman becomes Sauron's actual representative. Like here's here's a, a glass ball with uh you know, here's like a, a big marble with a disembodied voice coming out of it and yep. the fiery eyeball that you can see within it. And then there's a dude, right? 
a dude with creepy long fingernails standing there right next to it. And then he becomes the sort of embodied onstage focus um, who is literally uh, working out the will, right, of Sauron as it is communicated to him through uh, through the Palantir. I'm not. I, I, I don't. I'm not trying to be like reductionist of Saruman exactly, but it just. I, in part, Maggie, I'm kind of asking. This is the just because, like, from a film standpoint, like, and how they're kind of rolling this out in the film. That's my impression. What do you, What do you think about that? Well, I think it's probably big that we talk about the Palantir a little bit too, because when I first saw the use of that, not just as a prop, but as a facilitator you know, and, and seeing it the whole way through the trilogy and seeing Pippin being called to it, mm-hmm. Pippin sneaking, you know, up to it, seeking it out, like feeling that pull and then taking it and not being able to let go and then feeling what looked like pain. 100% it looked like the Palantir was using him as a conduit. So like you right. see it as a pathway to the dark side, right? To fix right. my mentors. So you see it as like something that can, assert its power over you so therefore it is the reach of of sauron in the film so that that just became like a clear definition so then when you go back and watch it and you see saruman have one it seems oh he has already been tainted and now he's trying to lure gandalf in it serves as this kind of tool you know and it really did seem kind of like a come into you know and come into my chambers to see the shiny ball but really it's so i can trap you and reveal to you the power that i have you know it 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 definitely felt like the tool that was being used yeah which isn't the feeling i got from the books like obviously it's a tool but i don't i don't feel like it had that kind of assertiveness in the text but yeah well so i mean in my, what I'm really focused on is how it prompt, how it brings us to think about Saruman as Ooh. a bad guy. Like so, one of the things um, in the book, we of course don't. One of the major differences with Saruman is that we get him much sooner, right? Like when when Gandalf goes uh, to Isengard, we see it, right? Like we go there with him in real time as it were, and we're, we check in with Gandalf as viewers watching the story. Like, we're watching the story unfold in real time, until, you know, until he... We get the escape in flashback. Um, you know, the I was delayed uh, passage, Ooh. right, from Rivendell. Um, but the rest of it we seem to get in real time. Like, we, you know, we know what's, uh, what's happening with Gandalf. At least that's the impression that the film gives. Um, whereas, of course, in the book, we're getting the whole thing in flashback. Like, we don't know a thing about what happened um, apart from the little dream vision that Frodo has of Gandalf pacing around uh, on top of a tower. Um, but, um, but we don't have any real sense of what's going on with Gandalf in real time. Uh, and it's only revealed out. And Gandalf tells the whole story from start to finish in the Council of Elrond after the fact. Um, and when I think about Gandalf's story, so I, I'm saying this because that seems important. I'm not 100% sure why it's important, but that seems important um, that we are made a, um, a sort of an immediate dramatic viewer of his, of the reveal of Saruman and Gandalf's initial um, encounter slash conflict with him, right? Um, but 
in the book, it is made clear that Saruman, yes, Saruman has been influenced by Sauron. Yes, he has communicated with him in the Palantir. Um, but it's Gandalf is quite explicit about the fact that Saruman is still trying to feather his own nest. You know, Ooh. it is not... Uh, Saruman in the film seems to be a loyal servant of Sauron, right. essentially, all the way through. Saruman is not building an army of orcs because he was commanded to build an army worthy of Mordor. That's a that's a, a really interesting readaptation of a line, mm -hmm. which is it's almost that line in the book, but it doesn't come from Sauron to Saruman. It comes from Gandalf's describing what he's seeing that he's seeing that Saruman is building an army. And it's not like, you know, an army that could challenge Mordor quite yet, right? Not mm -hmm. without the ring, but it's, I mean, Gandalf is looking at what Saruman is doing and Ga Gandalf himself, it, again, remember him telling the story after the fact, retrospectively, Gandalf says, comparing and contrasting, you know, there are certain, th there are obvious similarities between what Saruman is doing and what Sauron is doing. The, the, uh, but he's building his armies for himself, Saruman yeah. is. Um, and, uh, I think that that's, so, so it, do we see, am I forgetting, do we see any hint in the films that Saruman is like his purpose, why he's building his power is in order is for himself, like that he plans to glory. betray, you know? No, I mean, I mean, the whole time he's, he's just, you know, under Sauron and trying to do the will of Sauron. Yeah. That. Yeah, you don't get that kind of selfish vibe. That's a really interesting choice of the text, though. I didn't realize the line was that close yeah. to the text. So you can see them trying, I mean, like, a, a, this is my thought anyway, that they would be trying to build up the big bad mm -hmm. and using the text that they have to kind of add fuel to the fire to make that work. And utilizing that text is a nice little nod, but we are going to change some things so the big bad is a clear big bad. Yeah, I mean, we didn't, it, have, it's, we didn't have time for the nuance of a selfish Saruman. Yeah, it's almost like they don't. It, in the book, um, Gandalf is clearly. That's not just Gandalf. Tolkien is clearly building up a kind of uh, triangle, right? Like yeah. you've got the good guys trying to survive, and you've got. Uh, Sauron and Saruman, literally one on each geographically, one on each side of them, um, who is threatening them and with them trapped in the middle between the two of them. Now, they are allied together, right? Mm -hmm. But they're also separate and in competition with each other. Uh, and Saruman knows that he can't possibly compete long term with Sauron unless he gets the ring, right? Um, but uh, but anyway, that that's... That is what it seems to me like the big picture. If I had to say like the biggest adaptation choice that they seem to have made about Saruman, it seems to be that like that he is not in any point um, a, even a potential rival to. So, I mean, he clearly wants to he, he wants to get the ring, but I don't think that he. Do we even get the sense? Are we even given the sense in the films that Saruman wants the ring for himself? No, I mean, I don't he think just so. Doesn't, he doesn't strike me as selfish. He just—I mean, I guess you can say that he wants power, and he sees that path as giving him power, but not for his own glory. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's uh, the interesting thing about about this in some ways is that 
the films create a Saruman who is more selfless than Ooh. Saruman of the books, yeah. in which case, like, kind of less evil, actually. Like, <laughs> he's a good soldier, Saruman is. And I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but yeah. but it's, it's an I interesting... I know, well, but it's it's an interesting kind of side effect, right? That yeah. um, there's there's you we're not really not really prompted. I mean, it's not like we're not prompted to see Saruman as a threat. The way that he takes center stage uh, in the second film, especially, mm-hmm. you know, shows like obviously he's like the Ro- the, the Rohirrim think he's a threat for sure. You know, like that's. Um, I'm not saying that he's you know he doesn't pose any danger. I'm just saying that. Um, he we see him doing it as you know the 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 an extension of Sauron mm-hmm. all the way through you know not not for his own not for his own glory right but only uh you know um like uh, uh yeah not to us yeah. but for thy glory Sauron is like what you know yeah. Saruman is doing all the way through um and that's i just i find that a really fascinating choice yeah Yeah. and it's kind of reminding me what we were talking about with the nazgul and the witch king in the last one that you know it's a shame he didn't get to be his big bad self in the final and and i I do kind of think that's because sauron was the only one that was allowed to be the big bad so they made everybody else the level bad Mm -hmm. so maybe that's that was the reasoning with this too that we we needed a big bad to push the drama through the first and second film that would lead up to the sauron Right. So. Well, I, I, I see people commenting about, you know, the risk of Christopher Lee upstaging Sauron too much. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hear that. I mean, but That's this fair. is not, I mean, even like questions about, you know, the performance of Christopher Lee aside, even just when you have one nebulous, you know, literally faceless uh, bad guy lurking in the background and another one front and center... Um, it's very logical, right, mm-hmm. to sort of lose sight of the one instead of the other. I mean, there's um, there's there's that deliberate moment in the book when Saruman is defeated, right? When Gandalf is like, okay, everybody, um, and now it's time to focus on the real big bad, right? Mm. Like, uh, great victory, everybody. Good job. Um, we've all survived against the odds. And, uh, and so now it's time to begin the next and actually larger significantly right. larger challenge right um and i felt like in some ways they were wanting to um avoid or um like i, I think back to the passage you already the I, I sorry i often call them passages still in films um which i suppose well, works but oh, it yeah, shows fine. i'm used to thinking about books um <laughs> the scene in the film that you already pointed to that is pippin in the palantir right um, that seems to be the moment that they use in the films as the transition, right? To show like the, 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 the Palantir becomes a through line, right? You've defeated Saruman and you, and you find the, you know, Pippin finds the Palantir, right? And, uh, but now they, you know, the power of Sauron comes through it. The way that it bursts into flame, which visually mm-hmm. is incredible incredibly cool right um even to the point of like the burning palantir rolling across the floor and then getting smothered in the in the you know with the blanket um that 
it, it just as you were saying that is visually representing the power of Sauron coming through the Palantir, yeah. right? It's not just a communication conduit, right? It's not, I mean, like, you could call Sauron on your cell phone and your cell phone's not going to catch on fire, right? right. Like, that's... Uh, yeah. Or possess you. I mean, that's an right. actual reach of power that affects mm-hmm. your day. Like, mm-hmm. he's not okay after that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So... But but the way that it seemed to form a through line, right, is that it just, you know, showing that impact on Pippin helps us to imagine, we'll, we'll imagine the impact it was having on Saruman, right? Yeah. Um, it really declares like, okay, so Saruman, who was um, within the context of film two, the big bad, right? I mean, he was the, 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 the one who was the focal point and gets defeated at, you know, his armies anyway get defeated at the end. And then we do, because we do the... Um, the the trip to the tower that get, got cut out um, or mostly cut out anyway uh, we do that at the beginning of the the return of the king right mm-hmm. so they use the like, notice even there the confrontation with Saruman they're the final one the f- one where in the film he gets killed right yeah. um, is so much less there's so much less of it even and then of course like they cut it obviously from the theatrical version which was probably i think the most sensational cut Mm. like if you if you if you i think if you make a list of the scenes that got cut from the you know the and put back in the extended edition i think this has to be the most controversial one Mm, that they didn't even bother to kill saruman on screen you know he just vanishes yeah it's like, yeah. well, Saruman is in his tower, whatever, but like, we don't care about him anymore. We're moving yeah, on. He's, right. he's not a threat. It, it just ignore all that other stuff he could do beforehand. Because the other thing with Saruman, like, not only is he, you know, the arm of the, the reach of Sauron and just, you know, a really terrible character, he's also a wizard. So, like, we've got some, like, super, super powers attached mm-hmm. to this also negative ability that yeah. uh, you don't, yeah, it's, yeah. it's not fallible. Right. But see, again, like the film has, by removing any emphasis on Saruman's own motives, on his own powers, Mm -hmm. on his... I mean, it's not that... I don't want to exaggerate too much with his own powers, but honestly, what does Saruman do? What is Saruman capable of? Himself, I mean. Not just like he's an inconvenient agent of Mordor. Well, convenient for Sauron, inconvenient for everybody else. Um, uh, What else? What else does... And he's got a, you know... Like a tower, army. which is cool, and apparently can mm. build an army, which is his like access to orcs and uh, ability to build an army. Um, and we'll come back to that when we talk about orcs. But anyway, um, I we see his, you know, the weird, awkward combat with Gandalf, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but do we even get? We get his possession of Theoden, or yeah, his yeah. the possession of Theoden is what, basically. I'm 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 trying to isolate exertions of power, like independent exertions of power mm-hmm. by Saruman. He's clever, right? He's 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 like he's a good leader. He's building his army, making his speech from the balcony, right? You know, yeah. uh, like some. Uh, you know, like some uh, dictator or something, right? Speaking from his balcony to his army about how they're going to eradicate men. And, um, uh, and he crosses and... that avalanche. 
Yeah. He, well, good. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, I always forget about the Garothros thing because it's so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. His making of gunpowder, which is just like, he's intelligent, right? That's yeah. like, that's, the, you know, uh, that's not even, apparently, that doesn't even seem to be Saruman the wizard, just Saruman the uh, slightly advanced chemist, right? Mm. Um Huh. It's kind of reminding me of, um, I don't know if you ever read Crystal Cave, Mary Stewart. Uh, it's no. a Merlin, oh, lovely Merlin trilogy. Uh, so it's the story of King Arthur through the eyes of Merlin. And she kind of demystifies Merlin through the whole thing. Right. So instead of him being a wizard with stars and moon on his hats, he's an engineer, but nobody else understands engineering. So therefore right. it's magic. Right. Yeah, right. it's just right. that kind of idea. Like how much yep. can we explain away? Yeah, right. uh, even a similar yeah. move to what uh, Mark Twain made in Connecticut Yankee, um, mm. uh, the engineering in place of uh, of, yeah. of magic thing. Um, but um, yeah, so okay. Anyway, so yeah, but I agree. Good point. Causing the um, um, yeah, causing the um, avalanche mm. that was an exertion of power from a distance. He calls down the lightning and makes the avalanche happen on Karathras. Um, even like perceiving them from there seems kind of a big deal. So that is a clear exertion of power, though in the Fellowship of the Rings, not the two towers. Um, so it helps to establish him as a big, but we never see him doing that kind of yeah. thing. Right? Yeah. Like, I guess we maybe we see more of Gandalf doing similar things and therefore we assume Saruman who is maybe you know the the leader of of our order yeah. is more powerful but even that we don't really we're not threatened by his yeah. magic right because it doesn't really yeah. do much yeah i mean i just what i'm what i'm trying to do is I, again i'm trying to f I'm thinking in terms, as we always try to do, of the, the choices that they're making in this adaptation, right? Um, how, what, what was the line they were trying to walk with Saruman? They want to make him an obvious threat. But I think it seems to me that the choices that they made about him seem to me to, the pattern seems to be to diminish him, to make him clearly below Sauron. They didn't want to have... You know, where in the book he is explicitly put forward as a rival to Saruman. Mm -hmm. um, in the film, they seem to have wanted to prevent our seeing him as a real rival to Saruman. He's a danger. Um, he is a threat. Um, but he's not Sauron. He's mm. not in Sauron's league. Now, in the book, you can say he's not in Sauron's league either. But he... Uh, he thinks he can be and he wants to be. And of course, remember, one of the other things that Tolkien is doing in the book, which I think is off the, t they took off the table uh, in the films, was Sauron is a little glimpse of what it looks like when one of the good guys goes bad. And that prospect is put in front of us forcibly at the Council of Elrond. Like we are told, if you, you know, any one of the good guys claims the ring for themselves and tries to use it to overthrow Sauron, they're going to go bad, right? Yeah. And we we get, of course, the famous warning from Galadriel, right, about like the fa the famous hypothetical, what mm -hmm. she would be like if she took the ring. A queen. Um. Yeah. Uh. But we don't. But but also, Tolkien gives us Saruman to show us. Here's what it looks like. Here's yeah. here here's a glimpse of one of the powerful good guys 
going bad and setting himself up in rivalry to Sauron. Now, he's, he doesn't have the ring, but this in itself actually almost elevates Saur- Saruman, right? This is what Saruman can do without the ring. It's just him on right. his own, right, as a free agent. Um, right. With the ring, imagine what Saruman would be able to do. He would be, clearly, stronger than Sauron. So see how that would work right now? Imagine... Gandalf or Galadriel or even Aragorn first turning evil and then, you know, or one, you know, which, whichever order it goes, right. Taking up this power and turning evil. Um, yeah. So it's uh, th- that I think is, is again, one of the choices that Tolkien is making. One of the functions that Saruman is, 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 is performing in the narrative of, of the Lord of the Rings book story. But as I say, they kind of took that off the table. Uh, in the Council of Elrond in the film when they're like, yeah, nobody else but Sauron. It it doesn't work for anybody but Sauron, right? We can't use it. It's like, we can't use it not in the sense of it would be a super bad idea for us to use it, but in the sense that it's just inoperable for anybody but Sauron. Um, Which is weird because they contradict that with the keeping this... It's a sensible choice to keep Galadriel's awesome speech about, you know... I mean, the lines that she says when she is, you know, in photo negative color are almost exactly her lines from the from the book. I mean, that's a those are those. That's a very direct quote and sensibly so, because they're awesome lines. Like, you know, don't fix what ain't broke. But um, but it doesn't make much sense if nobody but Sauron can use the ring, which is what we were told before. But anyway, um, maybe that's not a contradiction so much as a reflection of their ignorance. But. I guess um, I might, I might yeah. need to relook at those lines, but that's not the vibe I got from it, I guess. Like, it's not that it's inactive. It's just it will make you bad. So it's not usable for us because we won't get what we want out of it. It's the I'm trying to remember who says it. Uh, is it Aragorn? It's when it's 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 the whoever speaks up in response to Boromir's. It's a gift. It's a gift uh, speech. And I think it's Aragorn. Um, uh, I think it's Aragorn who, uh, or no, Legolas. Yeah, yes. I think you cannot Legolas. wield it. None of us can. None um, of us can. And 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 there's an. I I seem to remember an even more direct line where they're like, you know, it 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 responds to Sauron alone or something like that. I mean, I yeah. think it's made explicit. Now again, that doesn't mean that the person who said it is necessarily right. You know, they they might be. Gladriel might know something they don't know, right? But, um, uh, um, yeah, okay, it, it is Aragorn who says it, Madagascar. That's okay. I have a vague memory of hearing this in Viggo Mortensen's voice, so I, I think that that sounds right yeah. to me. Um, anyway, like I said, it's 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 possible to kind of put too much into that, and maybe even the filmmakers change their mind, mm. uh, you know, after 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 that, but, um, but that does continue to raise the big bad of it, right? Like it only works for Sauron and it like just imagine what those two combined could do because just this guy without a ring, look yeah. at the mess he's making. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess you can see that elevating it. It is interesting. So Alan mm. Alan Wiles asks a really interesting question here. How much did the filmmakers choose to portray the wizards in what we underst- uh, like based on what we understand of wizards in popular culture that doesn't equate to wizards in Tolkien's world? That is so. Mm. Um, that's a great question, uh, and you know, coming back, uh, Maggie, to the Merlin example. I mean, Merlin is clearly, in popular culture, one of the wizards who looms very large in popular imagination, right? Um, I mean, I think that Merlin is one of, 
I mean, if you ask... Everybody knows him. Yeah, Everybody ask like a random him. person on the street for an example of a wizard, and Merlin is going to be, you know, I think one of your top responses. Gandalf yeah. would be up there too, but but uh, uh, especially though post-Peter Jackson, um, mm. pre-Peter Jackson, um, I think it's Merlin all day long, um, yeah. is, the, is the most famous wizard. Um, and the... Um, uh, the main thing, Alan, that I, I would, and maybe I'm just thinking about this because I'm thinking about like what we've been already saying about Saruman and how he was depicted, but um, Merlin, the paradigm of Merlin is not of wizard king, right? But of like wizard as like servant of the king, yes. right? Like you, prophet you, of the king. Yeah, like you have a wizard of the that. Court. Yeah, like the, the one who is in charge may have a wizard whom he can deploy, you know, in mm -hmm. various ways. Like the the wizard is the weapon of the king, um, and there even um, there, it, it's not just Merlin. Um, like there are other resonances. Even actually, in the Bible, this comes up a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. That is like, uh, you know. Pharaoh and the uh, uh, the king of Babylon, and they've got like a, they've got staff sorcerers that they, mm -hmm. that they call out. You know, um, uh, yeah, I was going to say dream interpreters for, at times uh, of need. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, this this idea of like not that the wizard makes himself king, right? And mm -hmm. because he has magic, he rules the realm. But rather, his magic makes him the most useful servant. Of the king, and so puts him in this privileged position, but he's not king, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because uh, it um, it that's a similar kind of like Saruman is 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 like Sauron's Merlin in some sense, right? I mean, there's there's a uh, I'm not saying the relationship is exactly the same, but but in that sense of like Sauron yeah. has many servants, but his most powerful and most useful is, you know, his pet wizard Saruman, you know, who is also geographically removed and doing. And so through Saruman, he is controlling Rohan through the possession of Denethor and he's building another army which can attack them from the other side. But it's all strategy. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And I agree. Madagoth, and the uh, Witch King is number two, right? Uh, or number three, I guess, if Sauron is one. But anyway, sorry, go ahead, hmm. Maggie. No, I was just agreeing with Phil, um, Jafar and Aladdin, the evil vizier type. Like, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. This That's powerful the powerful that, side that, character. That, that, that seems to be the archetype, right? Mm -hmm. That they are Which also means invoking. then it's, and yeah, exactly, which then means it's recognizable. So, you mm -hmm. know, if you take Saruman out of this mm, power-grubbing, character that wants to overthrow and be in charge himself and put him into this space of supporting the king we yeah. get that that makes sense yeah yeah um and yeah in, in comparing him to other like tropes of wizard that would be a fun exercise of just how is this be. one different yeah well and another thing i mean and i know this is up your street too maggie is to look at the impact that harry potter has oh, on that concept Right. And I mean, um, Merlin's even in Harry Potter. So like, how right, do they mess right. with the whole perception of yes. lone wizards in the wizarding world? Yeah. I mean, the alternate history, again, even of Merlin, and you think of the role that Merlin has uh, in Harry mm -hmm. Potter. I mean, it's okay. He doesn't have a huge role, but he's a historical figure of note. Right. And yeah. yet the implication clearly is that 
the muggle perception of, you know, Merlin as, you know, uh, King Arthur's right hand dude is probably not how the Wizarding World <laughs> looks at, at Merlin. Right. You know, that there's right. a there's a there's a totally there's an alternate version. But but that. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Um, Nameless Arcanum asks a fascinating theological question that I can't answer. Are the words vizier and wizard related? I would think so, as the word wizard is connected to wisdom. Like it's like it's it like wise one is more or less the philological root of wizard, and I would not be surprised if vizier uh was similar in its roots. Um uh but no? Okay. Well, Eric, uh, Eric seems to have a yeah. Eric says no. Okay. Yeah, I I don't I don't know anything about the roots of vizier. It might be superficial but in any case the 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 role again um of, yeah don't wise, apologize uh, it's all right yeah 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 of wise um uh uh counselor right yeah. the wisest of counselors and uh, note this is what like you know how gandalf is treated the position he puts himself in um uh from the beginning right i mean remember frodo in Chapter two is like, oh, Gandalf, wisest of counselors, you know, tell me what I should do. Like, so that mm -hmm. even Gandalf, so Tolkien himself is also working within this concept of the role of wizards as advisors, right? The, 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 the role that G Gandalf is that not just for, you know, like he's not the pet advisor of a particular king, right? He's not, he's not on staff for any particular king to be able to you know, summon up when something needs to get done. Um, but he does have that kind of counselor uh, mm -hmm. position. Um, but. Uh, Do we know anyway, how he yeah. came into that role? I mean, text and film in film. I always got the vibe that he just took up a mantle, mm -hmm. you know, answered a call kind of a thing, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there was more of a recruitment, you know, if, if right. Saranus yeah. went out and sought him. No, I, I don't think so. Um, I, that, this seems, this seems to me to be, so, all right, I'm going to try and tell a long version of this story. Uh, the shortest version I can tell of this story. We had a long discussion in Exploring the Lord of the Rings about what the colors mean. The gray, the white, the brown. Um, and that the, uh, although the normal association in everybody's mind is that they're like karate belts and indicate a rank, you know, um, I'm wholly unconvinced that they in fact do indicate a rank. Not that there is no rank among them. This is the hard thing because there is rank among them. Um, and there's a kind of correlation, but I don't think that it's merely an indicator of rank. And, um, I, uh, so when we're, we're trying to figure out what, what does it mean, we're looking at how they're spoken of and what that means. And I, my, the theory that we came up with and of which I'm, which I feel is pretty, is pretty solid, um, is that it indicates a sphere of influence. It indicates like it's, it's more like a, an academic subject than it is like a, a rank, right? It's, it's a job description more than anything mm -hmm. else. The white to be the white means like so when gandalf comes back and says i am the white now yeah. you know i am Gan and i am now gandalf i'm saruman as he should have been meaning i'm doing Sar the job doing saruman job didn't now. do right saruman neglected this job and i'm here now and now i've been given that job right um I, i've been given that role um and 
so one of the biggest and most interesting questions in all of this, what the job of the white is seems pretty clear. Like to be the leader of uh, like to be working against Sauron, right, to be the captain of, you know, the the sort of organizer and leader and empowerer of everybody who is trying to fight against Sauron. That was Saruman's job. Um, he was studying the 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 powers of the enemy. He was studying the rings of power. He began doing that because it was his job, right, to learn about the enemy because his job is to oppose to be the leader of the opposition of Sauron. That's why he's made the head of the council. Right. Because right. that's his job. And then he stops doing his job. And then Gandalf is explicitly doing that job after he comes back and, and is the white. He's not doing that job beforehand. When he's the gray, he's not mm -hmm. like, I shall lead the charge against Sauron. He's like, no, he's wandering around um, doing all kinds. of. So the question was, what is the job of the gray? Like, what does that mean? And I think wandering around and like seeing where there are needs and like being the advisor of various kings in different places and stuff, mm -hmm. that seems to be connected with what it meant to be to be the gray um, he's like the street crew like you know <laughs> yes yes he's, and he's just as the brown seems out. to have something to do with like birds and beasts right like the you know like that that's radagast's job mm -hmm. I, I i don't i don't know we don't we know so little about radagast it's hard to put together a full profile of either what he did or what he was supposed to do or how to figure out any way to talk about that but um but yeah, so Alan, by saying that when, when Saruman says that he's Saruman of many colors, he's now he's he's got he's, he has every every job, right? He is basically saying I am in charge of everything, right? I'm not any longer just doing my niche, even though my niche was arguably the most important niche, right? And made mm -hmm. me the head of the council. Um, everything is my business now, right? Uh, remember that when Saruman as uh, speaking to Gandalf at the beginning before he reveals himself, he emphasizes Gandalf the Grey uh, and then says, "Who you know, uh, what are you doing going about the lands, uh, sticking your nose into every business, whether it belongs to you or not, right? Gandalf has been meddling in his Saruman's mm. job by his connection with the ring of power, right? right? He's discovered the ruling ring and he's kept it from Saruman. And Saruman is like, that's you're 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 working in my area, right? You're 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 doing my job. You have you've you have transgressed the boundaries. I just had um, pizza delivered to me. Oh there we go. How kind. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um uh but um anyway so uh this is what I think, um, again, the, the Gandalf the Grey was involved in that kind mm -hmm. of um, in that kind of uh, roaming about. Not so I don't think it was his job. I don't think he was getting recruited by um, I don't think it was getting recruited by kings, but he would, you know, show up and make himself available. And the kings either did or did not appreciate it. Right. Like we see both Theoden and Denethor not appreciating it particularly, right? I mean, Theoden mm. comes to appreciate it eventually, but originally, you know, the whole Gandalf Stormcrow thing, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, his uh, his advice is not appreciated, and he, but he shows up, right? He keeps showing up. Um, uh, anyway, okay. I like so, that idea. I hadn't, I'd never thought of yeah. the, them as job descriptions, and that makes absolute sense. I, 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 I think I, I like increasingly, that. increasingly, I'm thinking that's the case. But again, see, this is exactly the kind of thing we don't get anything like this in the films, right? Like, I don't, even, I don't think we even really like the wizardliness of Saruman seems to be a little bit de-emphasized in some ways. I don't know. 
Well, I agree with you. Um, the only time that, because what you're saying, the, the thing that came into my mind was like, oh, that makes a little bit clearer. The the moment in the film when he's in the blinding white light and they think it's Saruman, but it's actually Gandalf, and mm-hmm. he kind of has to remember who he is. That yeah. moment makes sense to me in that respect because it does feel like he stepped into this new role and he's doing this new job, you know, yeah. and he's lived the whole life in the meantime that he kind of forgot what he was up to. But that moment kind of makes sense of stepping into this new wizardly role. But the rest of it, yeah, I, mm-hmm. not as much. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, let, we should we should talk about orcs before we run out of time. We probably should. But this um, is really interesting. I feel like I was one of your students there. I'm like, tell me more. This <laughs> sorry, is really interesting. Digression, but it's 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 the kind. Of, it illustrates the kind of thing that I think is is. Like the the kinds of ways in which Tolkien is thinking about the wizards and wizardly roles that mm-hmm. we just don't get in the films. And again, they you know to some extent, obviously, the compression of everything in films um, is is by the way footnote. This is one of the things that um, I find hard to talk about or slightly vexing anyway to talk about when people complain about the time compression in mm. the rings of power it's like it is a translation a translation to a video a, a visual medium of course it's compressed like yeah. no film adaptation of anything has ever not been compressed like you you just can't um yeah. you it's it not possible to yeah i mean like a book I mean, you can't watch the... 80 days of traveling around the world, you know, <laughs> no, like, like... you just can't. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's there, there, there's, it is not to say that films can't uh, convey nuance, mm. but they're interested in different sorts of nuance because they do it in different ways. Right. Yeah. They're and storytelling is of, the... of a different mode. And one of the things I was thinking about with this that I, I wish I'd done before we'd started talking tonight, but I'll see if I can do it for next time is like an actual visual comparison of Gandalf and Saruman would be really interesting. How were they shot? And you can see it just in their costumes. Like just those decisions mm-hmm. are huge that we're going to relate more to the one that's a little bit scruffy with the tangled, you know, staff that looks like more organic and yeah. cracks a joke and he's got fireworks, you know, that that's more of a relatable type character versus the cold steel sh- sharp lines. But I do wonder yes. how they're shot and how that kind of affects power structures. If there's like, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I would imagine all of Saruman's shots are like straight on, taking up most of the frame, being much more powerful and in charge, whereas Gandalf's probably more on the periphery and a bit more coming in from the sides. And It would be really interesting to look at the um, yeah. the, the, the whole initial um, Isengard sequence, you know, with them and how the two of them are presented when they are yeah. literally side by side there. Right. That yeah. would be interesting. Um, and maybe bring in some kind of choreographer to talk about the fight scenes because that's just funny so <laughs> right right yeah, yeah. i did yeah. like the fight scenes but you can't help but have a little bit of a giggle because it was just a little bit ridiculous but it is the only scene so i just um showed i did a peter jackson trilogy marathon uh with my kids and their friends mm-hmm. two years ago uh, year and a half ago now, I guess. Um, and uh, that's the only scene that they were just cracking up. I mean, they were in stitches 
uh, with that the scene. bit when he's spinning around. Oh, the spinning, yeah. Oh, they were yeah. like they were they were giggling before that, and then when he started spinning around, they just lost it. Um, and uh, that was that was, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a decision. Um, I mean, I would have liked to have been at the table to hear that, like the meme that's been coming to me this week. Um, it's all over Instagram and everything else is somebody watching twilight for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they're just laughing hysterically because there's a scene where she rides on his back and they run really fast through the woods. And it's hysterical how badly shot and, and, right. you know, CG it is. But in the moment, nobody really thought that, but you're like, Oh, I just wonder what the conversation was and what decision was made because it doesn't age well. And for something yeah. like that to draw your focus is kind of a shame, right? Like right. this scene right. where we have this awesome battle between these two incredibly powerful characters, I probably shouldn't be laughing at him spinning on the floor. Right. Right. Um, right. Yes. Yes. We should yeah. shift doors. We should right. shift doors. Um, okay. So we're going to, we're going to, let's, let's, let's talk about orcs. So one of the things we were, we mentioned last time was the progressive reveals right when with your monsters mm-hmm. um and this is certainly true big picture of orcs um we're talking about reveal we're focused on the fellowship of the ring film yeah because they get fully revealed by the end of the film and then they're just you know standard characters in quantity uh in the in the in the in the last two films um the way they get revealed the first time we see orcs in the Fellowship of the Ring film, we see them from a distance pulling down trees and stuff in, in Isengard, right from Gandalf's perspective, but it's, it's quite distant. They're mostly, we see them chopping. We see them torturing Gollum, don't we? I'm not sure if we see Baggins, Shire. Do we see orcs there? I'd forgotten. I don't remember seeing orcs in that scene. Um, I can't remember now. I guess yeah, I just assume they're the ones that had him on the table torturing him, but and maybe not. Madagot's right. We, Of course, we do see orcs in the prologue, the battlefield, yeah. right? Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they're not progressively like revealed in the same way that the orcs get deliberately and very progressively revealed in the rings of power, right? Yeah. That was much more, um, that was classic horror film, slow reveal. reveal. Yeah. 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 Every <laughs> <Exactly>. time. The... <laughs> yes. The claws. Oh. Yes. Um, but, um, the, well, okay. So what do we get about orcs? Like, what does the first film convey to us about orcs? I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, not start with the whole breeding pits Saruman's speech about the history of orcs, mm. because that comes quite late in the film is why I don't want to start there. Um, okay. Cause that's not where we're asked to start. Um, we get, we see the mobs on the battlefield fighting, uh, the Last Alliance in the prologue. Um, but there is n- very little emphasis on like the orcishness of the orcs, right? They're just, we just see a battle. Like there are bad guys on the battlefield, right? Um, and what's more, they don't seem to, like they're losing on the battlefield uh, until Sauron comes out, mm-hmm. right? Um, 
but um so is uh, morio the first real yeah more yeah. when the when they come through the ceiling down mm-hmm. around them that's we we get them first in that we get so first we get the battle in the chamber right and then we and get that's that the first time we see the sword go blue as well yeah it's it? the first time we see yeah. the sword go blue exactly. yeah yeah um uh yeah the 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 cockroach swarm of yeah. the goblins of moria coming down through the ceiling down through the pillars the around them um is one of the creepiest orc moments in all of Tolkien visual adaptations, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I mean, the um, that scene convey because they look very much like a massive swarm of cockroaches boiling out of a hole in the wall. Um, it is. Uh, uh, I don't know that orcs in Tolkien adaptation have ever seemed more purely inhuman like more alien than they do in that scene and very unsettling when something enters a scene like that all Mm -hmm. of us just go oh centipedes and spiders and just you know things with weird moving legs that creep me out Mm. yes yes um and then you think about how then that gets played on with the in the dark hall with the light of gandalf's staff like Mm -hmm. illuminating them and all of those like scenes you know that we get you know with them kind of closing in Um, i'm gonna replay that in my head many times (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but again like it's uh, the again the emphasis is is it's not even so much on them as physical threat because they're individually small right i mean they're not um but uh but really again it's the alienness like and yeah. the working together, you know, ant hill type thing where like, you know, ants can build towers and lift themselves up. Individually, yeah. orcs are kind of dumb and goofy and not super effective. They don't seem highly trained. They seem a little bit crude. But when you put them all together, they're really terrifying. And I just picture all of their faces pressing in on that one hole in the door as they're trying to come into the chamber. And it, it yeah. just has that kind of zombie pressing yes, at the doors yeah, kind of feel yeah, to it. Yeah, like zombie apocalypse kind of thing. Yeah, that, like that, really leaning into some of those The same scene when Legolas there. shoots him in the face through the door, right? So mm-hmm. you can see the arrow like moving around through as that. his face mm-hmm. is moving around. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, even that whole um, the whole fight yeah. scene, especially with the way that the cave troll is the obvious focal point, right? And the... Um, it's not that the goblins are no threat, um, but uh, but they are not made the focal point of the battle mm-hmm. um, at almost any point. I mean, you've got like, you know, Sam hitting them with his frying pan, right? Um, but mostly once the cave troll breaks in, he's the, fo- I mean, everybody's focusing on him uh, almost troll. all of the time. Um, so, uh, so yeah, the, I think that the... Um, Throughout the Moria sequence, the orcs seem to be presented as not a big deal, almost more insectoid, right? Like they are in a swarm. They are a, a, a serious problem. Um, but um, and also that like killing them doesn't accomplish very like a swarm of cockroaches. Killing some doesn't accomplish anything of significance. Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Now, uh, the scene that. Um, 
Everett and Alan on YouTube were recalling um, is a, I think, a really important one. Remember when the orc underlings of Saruman come to him and ask what the eye commands? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so like Saruman gets the build me an army worthy of Mordor uh, order. And then the orcs come into him asking for he, he, for Saur, Saruman to convey to them what the what Sauron's orders are, mm -hmm. which gives the impression, interestingly, of a modicum of independence of the orcs. Right, they're not just uh, Saruman's lackeys to order around. I mean, they are Saruman's lackeys to order around, but they're delegated lackeys. And they know that their own loyalty is to Sauron first and foremost. They're obeying Saruman because Sa Sauron told them to. And so uh, and they don't come to him and say, you know, oh, mighty Saruman, what is your command? Right. They come to him saying, so did Sauron tell you what to tell us what to do he, yet? Yeah. What has yeah. he said? And if yeah. so, what is it? Um, and... Yeah. Baby. Sorry. <laughs> Yell if you need me. <laughs> I swear she knows that we're talking about horrible villains. She doesn't <laughs> usually. I hope we're not giving Hazel nightmares again. <laughs> well, no, she doesn't usually wake up. This, I mean, she's anyway. She doesn't usually yeah. wake up anymore, gang. So this yeah. is two weeks in a row talking about villains. Yeah. But yeah, well, sorry, maybe we I need had... to shift on to something more pleasant next week. No, but, next um... time we're talking about fairies. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, they don't have the, the they're waiting for that that autonomy isn't really theirs. They're waiting for their orders. What does the eye command? That's that's yeah. a very different spin on that vibe. Yeah, again, quasi independent, right? Like they're mm -hmm. they're able to make their own choices. They're able to to tell the difference between like something Saruman might tell him off his own bat, right, and something that he's conveying to them from 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 Sauron. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's almost a sense of uh, it would be pushing it too far to say that the orcs consider themselves Saruman's colleague, both in service to Sauron rather than, you know, his, I mean, he is, they're clearly his subordinates. Um, mm -hmm. But, but you see what I mean? Like they're like, they are his subordinates because they're both serving Sauron um, and not just, um, and not just independently. Um, right. But I think Everett, that's exactly right. The effect that, this has, and I think in some ways I've never even really thought, I think it's clear that the film is doing this, but I never really realized it was doing this. Um, establishing the Uruk-hai as not only different orcs, but as orcs who uniquely answer only to Saruman. As Everett is pointing out that, um, you know, that whom do you serve? Saruman! Right? Like, they don't serve Sauron. They only serve him. And so that, um, so perhaps I'm... Um, I'm underestimating in the film through the Uruk High, you could argue that um, they. Sorry, can you give me two? Sorry. I can. No problem. Um, you guys no are problem. the best. I'll be back. Okay. Um, that um, Saruman. So, do you guys think um, that Saruman is therefore being actually elevated to a threat or rival um i don't i didn't see any much evidence of that in the um uh in the in the movies independently like again from saruman himself um saruman stating that he was you know he's looking for his own power and not just to further sauron's power but you could argue 
that the establish that in establishing the Urukai, he is really doing his own thing and creating his independent and superior form of orcs, right? His orcs can beat Sauron's orcs, and his more superior orcs, you know, answer only to him. Um, at least perhaps that sort of seed is planted there, even though, again, it does not seem to me to be a major plot point that Saruman is trying to set up on his own with his filthy white badges, right, as uh, Grishnok says. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Nameless Arcanum says uh, his motivation has always felt slippery to me in the movies. That I, I agree. I, it's hard for me to get a clear sense of what movies what movie Saruman is up to there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, the Urukai are the ones who get the white hand. Well, they're not tattoos. It's just paint, right? Or we're showing that it's paint, but it apparently stays. Um, uh, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, uh, guy Bren, I, I agreed. It's it's um, it's it's in the books. There's a there's a big contrast there. Yeah. So, um, let's talk. I'm tempted to wait till Maggie comes back to talk about the origin of orcs question because Peter Jackson goes straight there, right? And actually, it's really interesting to me that um, both the Peter Jackson films and the Rings of Power, um, directly and explicitly, uh, like in dialogue, address the orc origin question, which Tolkien left so indefinite. Um, but, um, but yeah. Um, so, Alan, I don't know that I would agree that the Uruks are basically removed after film one. I mean, we do see, like, the Orcs of Mordor are not all Uruk-hai. Um, but... Um, I mean, I think about the orcs who are fighting uh, in the Tower of Kirithungul, right? And those are quite like the orcs. The, um, you know, what does the eye command orcs who are, you know, Sar Saruman's colleagues there in film one? Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, so okay, hang on, I think we're having a vocabulary question. So there's the Uruk Hai, and then there's the so uh the Uruks, which is a different breed entirely from the Uruk Hai. That's the differentiation. Um so Saruman doesn't have Uruks. He has he has the Uruk Hai. Um uh just to try to keep the the no, I'm not trying to be pedantic about it, but just because uh, it's important to try to talk about them consistently and make sure we're discussing the same thing. Um, yeah, Uruk just means orc. Yeah, it's the, that is that is that's that's what the word means. Um, uh, and I might as well, uh, I might as well address the oldest and I think still to this day the most frequent question I've ever received in my entire career <laughs> as Tolkien professor, and that is. Um, what's the difference between goblins and orcs? And the answer is there is not a difference between goblins and orcs. The difference is the, uh, the, the answer is it's a purely linguistic difference. Yes. Narrowly edging out Balrog wings is the, is what's the difference between orcs and goblins. Um, and, um, uh, the difference between orc and goblin is simply linguistic. Um, if you're, want to give them the English word, it's goblins. 
if you want to give them the elvish name, it's orc. Um, and Tolkien does make a does appear to make a consistent shift, right? Um, he's already invented the word orc, like that is he used it in the Book of, of Lost Tales. So the the word orc existed. He chooses to use the word goblin almost exclusively in The Hobbit. Let me rephrase that sentence. In The Hobbit, he chooses to use the word goblin almost exclusively. He does um, use the word orc. The word orc, of course, appears in The Hobbit once, twice. Uh, and, the, and both times, it suggests that orcs are bigger and meaner than goblins. Um, uh, but mostly the word goblin is used. Whereas in the Lord of the Rings and in the appendices, the word orc is used to describe the same events, such as the Battle of Five Armies or the fight in the Mines of Moria that Thorin remembers very well in chapter one of The Hobbit. Um, all of like, the, the, the word orc is used to describe all of those. So it is, it is not at all clear. In, no, in fact, let me go the other way around. It is quite clear that there is no real attempt to use, that Tolkien does not make the attempt uh, to use the words goblin and orc consistently to refer to different breeds. He doesn't label some of them goblins and some of them orcs. Unfortunately for the makers of video games, goblins and orcs are not separate breeds of baddies, but just different ways to talk about the same group of people. Um, and... Uh, this becomes extremely clear in the Lord of the Rings when um, uh, you will often have a single character using the same term in like two consecutive sentences to talk about the same creatures, right? Like the, the, the exact same people. Um, that is, Merry and Pippin sometimes call them goblins and sometimes orcs uh, in the Urukai chapter when they're being orc dragged across Rohan. Uh, they are being orc dragged by creatures whom they sometimes call goblins uh, during that very chapter. Um, so what's the difference? Again, what is the impact? Why make the choice at all? If you're, if, why have the two different terms? If you're not going to, if you're saying that there is no difference, if there's no, there's not one species of creature called a goblin and one species of creature called an orc, which is bigger and more fierce. Um, as we see in Dungeons and Dragons, for instance, and in most video games, um, why introduce the difference at all? Why use different terms? And the answer, again, for Tolkien, the primary answer was in The Hobbit, he uses goblin almost all the time. Why does he use goblin almost all the time? And that is because he is um, writing a fairy tale, right? He is writing a fairy tale for children in which he is evoking the English fairy tale tradition. And goblins are very traditional bad guys. I read George MacDonald. There they are, goblins, right? Um, and so he is, it's, it's not about necessarily, like, again, him, he's not doing world building when he calls them goblins. He's doing fairy tale storytelling when he calls them goblins. And goblins are a thing. Um, goblins are a very well-established, you can say to an English child of the 1930s, and the mountains, the mountain caves were full of, were, were, like the mountain cave was the secret entrance to the goblins' realm. 
and the English child of the 1930s will be right with you. They will know what you're talking about, right? Whereas if you said to the to the self-same English child, nothing other than, but the mountain was full of orcs, you have to explain what the heck an orc is, right? Um, and that's not what he was doing. He was he was in, so he was evoking the fairy tale tradition in calling them goblins. But again, he'd already invented the word orc. Within the con, uh, the orc, the word orc comes from his elvish languages, and he had already invented that word and used that word in his earlier Silmarillion writings, right? So it's still there, and he still embeds it, just as he embeds so many things from the Silmarillion in the Hobbit, um, in this little fairy tale that he's doing all the way through. Um, uh, and so, yes, the 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 coolest example. Um, is the one that Nameless Arcanum just brought up. Um, we see, we are. T he tells us, Tolkien the philologist informs us, uh, even in The Hobbit, in The Lord of the Rings, he goes even further out of his way to try to teach us some Elvish languages, right? Um, but um, that is like, you think about the number of times that he tells us the name of a thing in Elvish and then gives us the translation in English, right? Um, and thereby we we begin to notice some things that, uh, you know, the black land and the black pit both start with more. And so more seems to mean black and elvish, right? Things like that. We, you know, we, we begin to be able to put together, even in the Hobbit, he does this with Orchrist, right? The name of, uh, of, of Thorin's sword is called Orchrist, which Elrond translates into English as goblin cleaver, right? Um, and therefore, again, if you're paying close attention you can you can come from that and say, ah, the Elvish word for goblin is orc. And so you will not be surprised on the two occasions that the word orc is used later on uh, when you're told about the great orcs of the mountains. Right. Um, and you, you, you know now or you, it's just like another way you're being sort of equipped with that. Um, uh, but OK, so so why did so so that he shifts from goblin to orc? primarily between uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings is not very surprising because he is doing it. The Lord of the Rings is a totally different project, right? Or by, you know, halfway through chapter, what was at the time, chapter two, um, that is to say, when they meet the Black Riders, footnote, when Tolkien wrote the original story, the shadows of the past didn't exist. He wrote the long expected party. And then in chapter two, Frodo sets out on his own journey and they meet the Black Rider on the road. So that's three as company. What was chapter, th what is chapter three in the published text was chapter two originally. Um, and then Tolkien, and then the Black Rider comes in, Tolkien has no idea who it is and he's got to figure it out. And all of a sudden, Ring Wraiths, Ring of Power, the whole story emerges and he's got to go back and write chapter two. Um, yeah. Awesome. Madagod, you're doing that in the journey through the history of Middle-earth with uh, with James Tower this week. Fantastic. Such a, g a great space series, isn't it? James is so good. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, so yeah. Um, sorry, Nameless Arcanum, you're right. I meant when Bingo sets out on his own trip, but that's a whole other story. This That's like a digression within a digression within a digression. So let me work my way back upwards. Um, <laughs> the point is, the point is that once the Lord of the Rings becomes the kind of book that it becomes, that is one in which Tolkien is doing world building and is developing the world that he had developed and the story and the history of that world that, I mean, he, he, 
starts doing that kind of thing and he's not doing that in the hobbit like there's um he is not doing world building in the hobbit in the same way that he does in the lord of the rings but in the world where he is doing world building he decides they should really be called orcs primarily why because how are people like the average person in middle earth should call that creature an orc in the third age why well because how did people, all the people of the Third Age, learn to talk about these things from the elves, right? Um, you know, because the Numenorians and everybody were influenced and taught by the elves and learned the elf languages. So, like the, the, you know, elves began it, right? Elves began lots of things, including wars against orcs, right? So, um, uh, they, um, the, the that the elf name for the thing would be the thing that catches on is I think, uh, very sensible. Right. Um, so yes, that's exactly it, Phil. But Tolkien does think about continuity backwards with the Hobbit, right? He's willing to cut some, cut some strands there, but, but he does think about continuity and he doesn't, he doesn't repent completely of using the word goblin. He used the word goblin in The Hobbit because it was a different kind of story and it, a kind that accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. But now that he's going in a different direction, he doesn't just cut it off entirely. He uses orc most of the time, but he still uses goblin. And when you look, it is almost always hobbits who use the word goblin, right? Um, he decides, like the way that he retcons the use of goblin in The Hobbit, um, the way that he answers the retroactive question, well, why didn't you call orcs orcs all from the beginning in The Hobbit? Because Bilbo wrote The Hobbit, and Bilbo was writing from The Hobbit framework, and the word goblin... Now, what... Um, um, what... How would he incorporate that into the history of the languages of the hobbits? I do not know. <laughs> I do not know, but I am sure he would have an answer. I'm sure that Tolkien could give you an etymology for the word. Because remember now, Nameless Arcanum, goblin isn't a Westron word. It's an English word. Remember, all of the Lord of the Rings is a translation, right? The Shire is not called the Shire. Sam's name is not Sam, right? Um, uh, all of these things. Remember the Shire, the hobbits, the word that the hobbits are actually using in Westron to talk about the Shire, is Susa. It's translated as Shire, right? So the word goblin is still an English word that is being used to translate the Hobbit term. But what that means, since the Hobbits are calling them goblins, that means that there is another Westron word which is, which is linguistically independent of the Elvish word orc that they are using, and then he would have an explanation of what that Westron word was and where it came from and why it's different. And, um, uh, you know, no, no doubt uh, Tolkien, would, uh, Tolkien would have that. Um, we don't, we're not presented with that in the narrative, of course, of The Lord of the Rings. Um, but um, anyway, so... <laughs> super long digression about goblins. But it's important because think about um, one of the things they do in the films, which is both understandable, but also in its way kind of interesting. Um, Tolkien has different breeds of orcs. Remember, this is, this is uh, 
There are a couple places where this is really focused on. Um, this comes into clear focus during the orc dragging across Rohan when we have the three different factions, but also three different breeds. They look different and have different physical capabilities. There's the Urukai of Ugluk. There are the Mordor Uruks of Grishnak. And there are the Misty Mountain Orcs who don't have a leader, right? Um, they're just hangers-on. And both the Grishnak and his Orcs uh, and Ugluk and his Urukai all look down on the Misty Mountain Orcs who can't keep up, remember? Um, uh, anyway, and who are afraid of the sunshine, of course, as we know, Misty Mountain Orcs are afraid of the sunshine. We've known that since The Hobbit, right? Um, and Ugluk is like, we're going to keep running even when the sun comes out. Um, anyway, so uh, that's one of the places uh, in which we see very emphatically during the course of the narrative that um, uh, the Orcs are different. Right, that there are these different breeds of orcs. One of the other passages that jumps out to me as a place that where the different breeds of orcs is particularly important is that scene in Mordor in The Return of the King when we have the warrior orc and the tracker orc with their with their snotty noses. Um, there again, we have clearly different breeds who have who are serving different functions. Right. Um, so, again, in the book. Tolkien has clearly different breeds of orc um, and the different breeds of orc have different functions. Uh, in the film, they lean more, I think, into the different breeds of orcs. Um, they do seem to use the words goblin and orc. Um, is it true? I was about to say that they use those words consistently to refer to different breeds, that the goblins are the, the you know, they use the word goblin to mean the orcs of the Misty Mountains. And then the orcs of Mordor are just different from the goblins of the Misty Mountains. Um, I think that's true. But there's a chance I'm wrong about that. That is about the consistency with which the film, the film does that. But, um, but anyway, the, the film, I believe, plays up the different species of orcs fairly significantly, even though um, they're a little bit fuzzy on vocabulary there. Um, one of the... Do you get the impression... Sorry, so one of the questions I'm asking in thinking about this depiction of the orcs in the film, do they use this to... Does it have an impact on how we respond to the orcs? In the books, seeing the um, uh, seeing the different orc, you know, Eric, as you were just saying, um, uh, no, sorry, I'm looking at a different comment. Um, uh, yes, Nameless Arcanum was just saying the the sort of the window into the horror that is orc ethnic tension um, in that chapter. Yes, Nameless Arcanum, in other words, what you're pointing to there is that, um, uh, what you're pointing to there is that we are brought to imagine ourselves into Orc. Like, we're given an inside view. What is it like to be an Orc, right? Um, what is Orc life? What is Orc civilization like? Um, 
And um, th- we get that in several places. We get that with Grishnak and Ugluk. We get that with Shagrat and Gorbag, very pronouncedly. We even get a glimpse of it with the hunter and the tracker, right? Um, <laughs> Maggie. Oh my God. I don't know if, if Allie jumped on here or not, but we're having like the worst meltdown I've ever witnessed oh, from man. her. Oh dear. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all right. You can go. It's fine. No. We're, 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 we're soldiering on talking about orcs. Oh, bless. I hope you're falling down a wonderful hole because I think I'm going to be crawling in bed with her, which I've never done before. So. <laughs> okay. Sorry, guys. Thank you. No problem. Go take care of your baby. Thanks, babe. <laughs> Bye. All right. Um, yeah, so it is, it's interesting to me that um, Tolkien doesn't... Tolkien gives us that... It's, it's in, in a sense, Tolkien, I think, serves, especially through Shagrat and Gorbag, um, to humanize orcs more than we get in the films. Does that, does that seem right to you? Um, well, let's, I'm almost out of time, so let's go ahead and talk about the orc origin thing. Um, for a long time, the scene in The Fellowship of the Ring, when Saruman is uh, lecturing the Uruk-hai, the newly spawned Uruk-hai, about the origin of orcs, uh, for a long time, that was my least favorite scene in The Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and in some ways, it's still, the scene, it's still the scene that I bear the most personal grudge against Peter Jackson to because um, of just the number of hours of my life that have been spent over the last 20 years trying to explain things to confused people who watch that scene. Um, I... I you know, I feel that Peter Jackson owes me for uh, dozens and dozens of hours of my life. Um, it is confusing, to say the least. On the one hand, Saruman is narrating... So like, the, my biggest problem with that scene has always been what we are hearing and what we are seeing do not match each other in any way. We are hearing from Saruman in his little orc history lecture to the Uruk-hai um, that orcs are derived from elves, that they were elves once. And then in the meantime, we are watching them being spawned out of mud pits somehow, um, as if they are being made like uh, as if they're being constructed in Frankenstein's lab, right? Um, what are they, animated corpses? Are they, right? I mean, like they look like they're coming out of a grave. Um, what exactly are they? Um, what does Saruman's description of the you know, you were elves once, like, is it them? Uh, like, I mean, are the orcs test, are, are the Uruk-hai, are Saruman's Uruk-hai test tube babies in some sense? What has he done precisely to protect them, or not protect them, to perfect them? That's the word I meant, right? It's just a now perfected, he says, right? Wh- what is it, right? Josh, I agree. It is as if it's a big womb or something that they're coming out of, right? Um, 
uh, yes, it's it's there. It's birthlike, except there's no body, right? There's no mom that they're emerging from. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't, we it's we don't know now. Here, uh, on the one hand, I don't want to complain too loudly because what Peter Jackson has done there on the one hand, of course, he's added this sort of like horror movie element, right. Of them like emerging from the slime. And, um, there's something really viscerally horrible about that. But at the same time, he's also cleaning this up, right. Um, he would have had a rating problem had he actually conveyed what Tolkien suggests about the Uruk high. Um, what makes the orc high different from regular orcs in Tolkien's world? It, Tolkien is very explicit about this. Um, that the, 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 the species of humans and orcs have been crossbred by Saruman. Um, and... There is no way to depict that on screen and preserve a PG-13 rating. There's just not. Um, so, yes, um, that's uh, but that's what Tolkien suggests. He doesn't describe it, of course, and he doesn't talk about how it happened. And he doesn't. Um, all he says about it is. Treebeard's comment that would be a black evil. Um, this would be the and it, it's called the worst of all of the things that Saruman did. This is the worst because orcs reproduce sexually just like other creatures of their kind. So yes, like um, I. I think that Tolkien's every implication is that there was sexual and presumably non-consenting crossbreeding between humans and orcs. Now, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe it was consensual. <laughs> no idea. But in any case, it's not pretty. One way or another, it is not pretty. Um, and, uh, but that seems to be the sort of specter that is behind the Urukai in the books that Peter Jackson didn't want to go within three miles of that I understand completely and can't blame him for but the result again is confusion are they are they creatures emerging from the slime were they manufactured out of slime were they born and incubated and, I don't know, somehow infused with increased ferocity and awesomeness um, in the mud pits. And then they emerge when they're fully cooked. Um, so instead of having childhoods, orcs are incubated in the muds. I mean, is that what we're getting? I, I mean, I don't know. Right. I really I really don't know. Um Right. They, they're like Petri dish babies, except, uh, you know, in a highly non-sterile environment. Th that seems to be... The visuals seem to me to invite us to imagine that. Um, 
that Saruman is making orcs like from scratch in some way, right? Um, but, uh, uh, but, and then again, it's at odds with what Saruman, so Saruman says, you were elves once, by which I assume Saruman means racially speaking, like you orcs, referring to you and all of your progenitors over thousands of years, you had your origin in elves. But of course, many people watching the movies came out of the movies saying, so did Saruman kidnap elves, put them in the mud pits and turn them into orcs? Because that seems very consistent with what Saruman says and what we've seen, right? Um, this is why, again, I, my, the, the primary... Um, the primary thing with orcs in um, uh, the primary thing with orcs in the Lord of the Rings film in that, that the reason I that was my least favorite scene in the Fellowship of the Ring for many years was just that it, it's it's simply it is so confusing that I am prepared to say that that scene is simply confused right it's it is I. I don't think it's very successful um, in how it uh, in what it conveys. It does not. It doesn't seem to really know what it's talking about. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, Namus Arcanum is asking, where does the made from slime with hearts of stone orc origin come from? The Book of Lost Tales. That's in the Book of Lost Tales. You've got stone and slime. There are three primary ingredients. Um, uh, don't try to make orcs at home. Highly not recommended. Uh, but the recipe, basically, is stone and slime and hatred. You, um, you, the hatred is really, you know, what makes the thing tick. Um, but, um, but yeah, you infuse stone and slime with hatred and, um, uh, you know, uh, Bake at 350 uh, for 25 to 30 minutes, and the result is orcs. Um, that's in the Book of Lost Tales. Uh, so, um, yeah. <laughs> Madagod, it's funny that you bring up the nursery rhyme of uh, sugar and spice and everything nice, right? Um, honestly, that is almost the register that the original orc recipe is at, right? Um, you know... Snips, snails, puppy dogs, tails on the one hand and, uh, uh, you know, stones, slime and hatred on the other hand. I mean, the one is slightly more mythic, but um, but they're not, you know, they're not they're not miles away from each other. Um, Nameless Arcanum, I always thought that there was a kind of nod to the stone and slime origin in the orc scene. Again, this is. But far from finding that cool, I found that irritating and frustrating. Um, it was as if they were trying to do it both ways, but in a totally contradictory way that made even less sense than Orcs in the Lord of the Rings book makes sense. Um, Tolkien doesn't commit, but Tolkien fails to commit by just leaving it, right? Um, Tolkien's Orcs are a problem, but you have to read his stories and then stop and think carefully about his stories and the sort of theology of his world before you even see the problem, 
of orcs, right? Um, like it's it's a fairly advanced reading of the story that gets to the point where you're asking the question, what happens to orcs when they die, though, right? And do orcs have free will? I mean, that's a question that's a little closer to the surface, right? Um, but um, but anyway, like you know, it's not going to be every first time reader who is thinking of the question, where do orcs go when they die, right? Um, but when you do get around to those questions, you find that Tolkien has no good answers for you, right? Because um, he didn't have any good answers for that question. Instead, the Peter Jackson team decide, like, we're just going to front load the confusion and just leave everybody totally stumped uh, about what's happening <laughs> there. And... Um, and I kind of, I kind of hated it. I kind of hated it in the, it j just because it, I get just perpetuated confusion. And then again, and people like, I, when I talk about the hours that I spent, like, uh, it's one of the things that, um, the confusion that that scene created lingers for years. Um, but, um, yeah. Yeah, exactly, Alan. If you're asking the question, do orcs go to the halls of Mandos? Um, you're um, you're already well inside inside the gates <laughs> as far as Tolkien uh, readership is concerned, right? Um, whereas, again, first time you know moviegoers are watching that scene and like, what are we talking about? How does it relate? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What? How am I supposed to parse this? You're giving me something. Well, you're throwing all this stuff at me, and I have no idea what it is. Um, yes. So, Alan, uh, we do want to do a comparison with the orcs in the Rings of Power. Next time, Maggie and I will come back, at the risk of giving Hazel more nightmares. <laughs> if Hazel wakes up next week, we're stopping talking about this stuff ever again. But... Um, at the risk of disturbing uh, Maggie's daughter's sleep further, um, we'll, I would like to talk about the orcs in the Rings of Power, having, having discussed the use that Peter Jackson makes of them and their links to the book orcs. Um, I want to talk about the Rings of Power orcs and the, the choices that they were making in the Rings of Power, um, which I find uh, are very, very interesting. Um, the character of Adar, of course, is a fascinating character. Uh, in the Rings of Power, and I'm extremely interested in him. Um, we are on next week. Next, uh, so we'll be on next week, and then Mythmoot comes the week after that. So we have one more week where we'll be, and then we'll have a week interruption when I'll be at Mythmoot, uh, and then we should be back afterwards. So, uh, so next week we will be back, and we'll try to finish up the villains uh, and orcs discussion. Uh, uh, Maggie had wanted to bring in the Rings of Power stuff as well, so. Um, we are, um, uh, uh, she will be glad not to have missed that part. So I'll pick that up with Maggie at the beginning of next time. Thanks everybody for joining us. Uh, appreciate you being here as always, and we'll see you next Thursday. Bye now.